Y'all can go home. <laughs> Love that song. Thank you, Terry, choir, instrumentalist, soloist. It was either me or Wendy going to sing that. And uh, <laughs> about from here to uh, Mars. But let me say this. God, God gave all those people, those playing the guitars up there, the drums, all the brass and whatever you're playing, all the voices, which is an instrument, and the leadership. It says in the book of Deuteronomy that God gives us the ability and talent. So all that hand of praise goes to Jesus Christ. Amen? It goes to him. That's right. That's where it goes. You were on television this morning. You were? Yes. Because wherever I go, you go. And we had the privilege of letting people know about feeding the 5,000 this Tuesday morning. And blessed we have media people here that want to help us get the word out for that. I'm excited about it because each year we watch God in this room do wonderful things. And actually, before we get to this room and in the line outside, love to get here early, 445, 5 o'clock, visit with people in the line. Have the privilege to lead some of those folks to Christ even in the line. And also, we have groups that get out here 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, bring hot chocolate and some biscuits and treats to those folks that are waiting there a long time. So we're really blessed to do it. If you're joining us on the simulcast, uh, simulcast, thank you for joining us, whether you're at home, mountains, beach, away on vacation, or just traveling on business. And if you have some friends or family watching with you, we welcome you today. It's a great day to worship God. There's a good word today about Elijah, one man and his God. Today's message has to do with choices. And sometimes Bubba doesn't make good choices. Sometimes. In fact, most every time. It seems like Mary Bell and Bubba, Mary Bell being his wife, had a discussion that was upping the level from discussion, getting ready to get into something that was more than a discussion. None of us have ever had that, I'm sure. But it goes something like this as they're quarreling along, and finally Maribel just blurts out, You really hate me, don't you, Bubba? Bubba says, Maribel hates a strong word. And she grabs her heart and says, Bubba, I'm so glad you said that. That means at least you can tolerate me. No, Mary Bell, I'm just complimenting you on the choice of your words. And that's how the fight started. (laughs) Choices are very important. Every person in this room whether you're five years old or 95, all the way through, everyone listening in the simulcast, we all make choices. And choices have consequences. We find Elijah in a place where he's made some choices, and some of us will find ourselves in the same place that Elijah has found himself. In fact, he's in a funk. He's under a tree. He's away from where he's supposed to be, and his prayer is that he may die. He's depressed. He's frustrated. He's had it. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. And sometimes you and I have found ourselves in a place 
where we're going along pretty well, and looking at some of the things going on, maybe in your family, your friends, you say, I'm no better than my ancestors, no better than my co-workers, because I did this or that or went this way, whatever. Today, there's a message of real hope for you and for me, because good choices have good consequences. But today, we're going to look at something of, well, the nature of what happens when there's not good choices. It's found in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 5 and 6. Word of God tells us, Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Some of us experienced that in the balcony and back in the back row here. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of baked excuse me, a bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, ate and drank, and then he lay down again. Many of you don't know that the Bible's first recording of angel food cake right there, right? (laughs) Happens right there. Probably was really good, don't you think? I'm thinking it was pretty good. And there's several things to notice about this. This is a solitary part of Elijah's life. All of us have experienced those times We wonder what's going to happen, and we pray a prayer like that. God, I want to die. God, I'd like to leave. I'd like to just close my eyes, wake up in heaven. Well, Elijah's at that point. But it tells us something. It says an angel touched him. Sometimes God brings physical manifestation to us. (coughs) Excuse me. And he did this day. He supplies blessing encouragement by an angel not calling him. It says specifically, it touched him. I've seen people awaken in different ways. Sometimes, get up. Some of you students have experienced that from your parents, right? After the fourth call. But it says, he touched him. It's not a dream, Elijah. This is what you're feeling. I'm waking you up. And he's touched. He gets up. We find that God supplied something for him. What Elijah needed. What Elijah needed at this time was not discouragement. Didn't need chastisement from God. Didn't need reproach and rebuke yet. What he needed was encouragement. I got off a jet in San Francisco, California years ago when I started my doctoral work brought out 70 pages of reports, going to be gone about 24 days, already missing my family, missing my church, and looking for the bus to get to the seminary. I've never been to California, didn't know anyone in California. And I have to tell you, you go through and they send you a list of the 10 different doctoral candidates, and everyone had been somebody, head of a seminary, some of the director of missions for all the country of Mexico, some blah, 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 and me. And so I'm feeling like I have really outkicked my coverage on this thing. What in the world am I doing here? And I got on that bus trying to find which one, and people are very helpful. You know the bus that goes to someone, just get on the sea, go down three miles, and you, after the second place to turn, I don't know what they're talking about. So I finally find I'm on that thing, going over the Golden Gate Bridge for the first time, 
And I asked the bus driver to stop some near where the seminary. He said, what is it, the seminary? So that's probably near here. And he lets me off. There's a gas station there. So I'm getting, I look like a, if I dressed a little bit differently, I probably would look like this poor guy's looking to get a bite to eat and hold up a sign here, right? I'm walking toward a, this is how long ago it was in the early 90s. I'm walking toward a payphone to call the seminary to find out, where are you? And a woman gets my attention. I look over there and she says, Jesus sent me to pick you up. Her trunk is open. I've told this story before. I don't know if she meant get in the trunk. Jesus told me to pick, I'm taking you back to the airport. But I think, wow, this is really cool. The seminary knows when my flight, well, though they don't know, but how did, well, anyway, I'm going to get in the car. I'm speaking to this woman on the way up and just, I said, thank you for coming to, to get me. I appreciate it. She said, Jesus sent me to pick you up. She had a little bit of an accent. Not that I don't. I'm sure she didn't understand my, between my Brooklynese, my South Carolina, my Texas, my Michigan and New York. She didn't probably understand me. Either. I don't know. But all the way up, and I was just, didn't know what else to say. Every time I'd say something, she said, Jesus sent me to pick you up. I thought, well, you're taking me where I need to go. That's fine, because I don't even know where this thing is. She pulls up right in front of where I need to be. And I could see it has admissions and welcome, blah, blah, blah. I get out. I get my bags out of her trunk. She's there. She closes her trunk. I walk through the door, take four steps. And I said, thank you. This was really nice. I got off the bus, and you had people down there to pick me up. I said, we don't send people to pick you up. I said, well, Jesus does. <laughs> and I looked out there, and there was no more car there. And I walked back out the door and said, and it was gone. I got to tell you, when everyone's sharing their story, when you're doing introductions for your first day as a doctoral candidate, and I happen to be the last one doing an introduction that day, and they're telling their story, it's really cool when you can say, Jesus sent someone to pick me up to get me here. <laughs> That was the encouragement I needed. Was that an angel? Who that was? I don't know who it was. Subsequent to that and all the other seminars I went to, there was never another person there that Jesus sent to pick someone else out. But I did say to the guys, we didn't get that. I said, well, I'm just way more pathetic than you. I needed that. <laughs> I needed that. And he did, and it encouraged me and took me all the way through some very difficult days. It was during that time period that my father passed from this earth and I just knew God had called me, and it caused me to stay. I needed encouragement. I didn't need someone to shake me and say, what's wrong with you, idiot? This is what you're supposed to do. God touched me. God touches Elijah here, and there's some great lessons to learn in life about that for brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes they just need encouragement. And he supplied that encouragement in an unexpected manner right? Unexpected. And sometimes we don't even know where that comes from. Maybe from a student, maybe from a professor, maybe even when you're waiting in line and you miss that light, thinking, God, if only that person in front of me hadn't gone a little bit faster, I wouldn't have to wait through this light again, not knowing that God sent, I sent someone to save your life. Because at the next light, the light after that, if you got there, someone's going to come right through that thing they're going to see yellow, and what that means in their head is step on the accelerator. And it's going to be red by the time they get there, and it's going to hit you. We don't know. Lots of things. God's watching after us. He's taking care of us. He takes care of his servants, doesn't he? 
He takes care of them in wonderful, wonderful ways. And he cares for his servants beyond any place or condition you may be in. And you may be here today wondering how you're going to get out of that funk. Well, there's some choices to make, and choices have consequences. And today, God can help you through that funk. You see, God's mercy extends beyond our expectations, and sometimes well beyond them and against our expectations. Elijah wants to die. He's not kidding around. He's pretty serious. He's been talking to a God that brought down fire from heaven. God can take him, and he can take me, and he can take you. And aren't you glad that God says sometimes to our prayer, nah, you're praying out of a funk. I'm not going to answer it the way you think because I know everything. I know everything. I'm omniscient. And I've seen the days in front of you. I'm not going to answer what you want. I'm going to answer differently. God's mercy and provision are just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And the fact is, They're seen once again by Elijah because God already fed Elijah by ravens. He fed Elijah by having jars that never end, oil and grain. And now he feeds him with an angel. If you don't think that God is creative, read Genesis 1-1, okay? God is pretty creative, isn't he? He can use birds, never-ending jars that continue to fill up, and he uses an angel. You may think your circumstances beyond something that God could do. Let me extend this to you. God created all different kinds, just thousands of different species of spiders and all kinds. He can take care of what we need to take care of. And sometimes he knows this about us. I want you to see in Philippians 1.19, he makes us a promise. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say once does it? I'll meet all of your needs. And sometimes what we need is to be reconnected to God in a little bit different way. When we get into that funk and say, God, I know you can handle this. And sometimes that may mean tough love. Sometimes it means we have to step to the plate. Sometimes we have to face rejection, hurt. Sometimes we have to face the music of our own choices because choices have consequences. But guys, God's eye of providence is upon you, dear friend. He purchased you with the price on the cross. The price was his very life. He bled and died in our place to take our punishment, rose from the grave three days later. And his eye of providence is on you because you became his child. And when you see someone with a little child, They take such good care of it in a normative situation. God's love extends beyond that. He loves us with a love deeper than we can ever imagine. In fact, as a loving father, God wants to help us through these times of our weakness. You may be in one right now. I know some of these students are getting ready probably for semester finals, whether you're high school, university, middle school, tough time. God can help get you through. It says in Psalm 103, verse 14, behind that light right there, it says that God's going to do something, and here's what it is. He knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust, doesn't he? Parents, don't you know when that little child is there 
that they've asked you something? Why can't I play in the street? I'll look out for the trucks and cars on I-95. You know they're not asking the right thing, right? Can I have my own television and room and three iPhones and four Game Boy, whatever the things? No, you can't have that because you love them. And because you love them, not only do you sometimes refuse to get them what they ask for, but you want to give them what they really want, need, because you love them. Because you know they don't have the maturation level that they are but dust. And they would have died except you as a parent or guardian has taken care of them. They don't survive. Babies don't get up and say, well, I'm here, Doc. Have my parents pay the bills and bring me a hamburger with some fries. You have to take care of them. God knows we're formed out of dust. He's been watching us. He created us. He knows we need help. And we can get into that point. We say, God, I'm just beside myself with this. He can take us out of that and bring us forward. He wants to do it. I've got a ticket in here. I'll show you in a little bit later. It's a ticket from 1948 from Yankee Stadium. I'll tell you what it's about a little bit later. Right there. Just in this little encapsulation that's on here, this little acrylic thing, so it says protected. Well, it says in 1 Kings 19.7 that something about the angel of the Lord that happens again. It says the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So God lets him sleep. He feeds him. He says, You're going to need some sleep. You've been fighting Baal and all these gods on there. You've made this long run in front of, ahead of Ahab. You've gotten yourself into a funk. And sometimes just you and I, we need to take a break. Give yourself permission to take a break and veg out a little bit on the sofa or reading a book or whatever you do to do that. Getting out of town, whatever you do, just to get a break, to recuperate. And so Elijah needs that. So God has an angel to tap him, puts food by his head. He eats. He goes back to sleep. I don't know if someone tapped me and put food in front of my head, would I be able to go back to sleep? He must have been pretty tired, right? But it says the angel comes back a second time, touches him and says, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Excuse me? What journey? Elijah's getting ready to go on a journey. And sometimes God will take us to a new place. And show us what he has for us. Be ready for that. You never know where it's going to be. Because he's nowhere nowhere near the place God's going to take him now. But sometimes we have to go to another place before God gets us to where he wants us to go. And you may be there right now. I want you to see what he does. Bring up that next one. Thank you. The word of God tells us that he got up, ate and drank and says that he was strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he relaxed, excuse me, until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Choices have consequences. Elijah, What are you doing here? 
So we have this incredible instance where Elijah travels through on this incredible journey for a long, long time. I'd like to show you how just how far it is. I bring up that map. It's pretty far. You see, originally, we see all the way up here, Jezreel, Jerusalem, Beersheba, all the way down to Mount Sinai, where Mount Horeb is right in here, all the way down, over 200 miles. So the angel wakes him up the second time, gives him this food, and he travels for 40 days and 40 nights. Mind you, how many stores are along this very crowded place here? Hmm? There's no place to stop and get a coffee or a maybe there might have been a Dunkin' Donuts or a Krispy Kreme. No, there's none. Say, well, that's just kind of a, a Bible story. That's not real, is it? Yeah, it's real. We didn't know what God fed him the second time, but that was some good food, wasn't it? He gets by 40 days, 40 nights with no other food. Well, Pastor doesn't say he didn't have any, didn't have any other food. Well... Let me say this to you. I believe he didn't. What do I base it on? Based it on, first of all, could God do that? Of course he can. In fact, he didn't have to feed him the second time, but God put something in him. He went for a long, long way. Now, if you have teenage boys, they will have a meal. It may be on Thanksgiving Day. They may eat five plates of food. And it'll be a long time, probably an hour and 20 minutes later, they'll be back picking more, right? And you don't have to be a teenager to do that. I promise you, I get that. But this food lasted all that time on this incredible journey. Now, what did God give Elijah? He gave him special strength to make that trip. Over 200 miles without additional food. And Elijah fled to the holy place where God met Moses and gave him the sacred laws. That's where Elijah is brought to. The place where God entered time and space on that mountain and brings the law to Moses miraculously. Are you picking up a motif with the mountains here? right? Pretty incredible thing. Now, I want you to be reminded of this because you may miss this. It's just a little side note to this whole thing, how cool the Word of God is. Do you realize Moses also had an issue? He dealt with fasting 40 days and 40 nights on that mountain. Did you realize that? I want you to see the passage. Moses went up there, and the Word of God says in Deuteronomy 9, 9, when I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, that the Lord made with you. I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. What does it say? I ate how much? No bread and what else? So he's up there 40 days, 40 nights, no, no food, no drink. Wait a minute. What's going on here? Pretty incredible thing. The fact is, when God meets you, when God calls you to wherever he's calling you, there can be things that are happening that are beyond your understanding. These they could see, and these we can read about and know. But dear friend, understand something. God is the God that's omnipotent, all-powerful. God can do things like that and shows us something even more incredible. Jesus himself also fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert and to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, what does it say? He was hungry. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights, no food, miraculously. And so does Elijah. 
There's something about each one of these people that's incredibly special. I believe Elijah represents those as he was taken up in a fiery chariot, those that will never see death on this earth. They're just taken on up, right? Moses did die, but it says in Jude that Michael the archangel, when he disputed about the body of the devil, said, the Lord rebuke you. What was he disputing about the body of Moses about? Because I believe God sent Michael the archangel to bring the body of Moses up to heaven. Those that would die and would be resurrected. All three fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I'd like you to see this wonderful passage in Matthew chapter 4. Maybe you've never recognized this or put it together. Look what it says. It says, excuse me, in Luke chapter 9, that there's a time that comes that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah will meet together. And they did meet together on a mountaintop. Here's what it says. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. Isn't that pretty incredible? Only the Word of God could sew all that together, put it all together. There's something about it. Here, there's a whole message there. Lots of implications for that. But God had these two great men, both who had some really hard times, both got into a funk, into depression, into negative attitudes, and God worked through their lives. You may be in a wilderness now, but remember, choices have consequences, and today you can make some really good choices. You can choose to listen to God today. You can choose to answer the question that says, Moses, you know, where are you? Elijah, where are you? Joe, where are you? And friend, where are you? What's going on? God asked him a very significant question. He asked Elijah in 1 Kings 19.9, what are you doing? And the emphasis in this sentence is found right here. What are you doing here, Elijah? And you can answer yourself, the same question when God has brought you to a place where he wants to get your attention. Who's going to do the work in Israel when you are here? That's the implication implicitly and explicitly from that passage. What are you doing here? It's a holy place. I've come, I know I brought you here, but see, I brought you here out of that funk. I had something supernatural happen, and I brought you here where I took a mighty leader that suffered in depression, that suffered under the uh, a nation that was turning against him. In fact, he didn't even get to go in to see the promise. I brought another person up there that, that had some of the same issues that you have, and I'm still God, and I'm here. So I want to ask you something, and I'm going to ask it to you. What are you doing here, wherever the here is for you? Why are you here instead of where you need to be? Whether you're in your university or your high school, your middle school, your workplace, your neighborhood, if you're not where God wants you, God has a place of ministry for your work in Israel, wherever that is. I don't know what it is. But when you get away from God and God has to gently bring you back, this is the time that God does bring a little bit of a rebuke to Elijah. Before, when he's getting him out of the funk, and God may be getting you out of your funk or depression or hurt right now. But now, after God feeds him, after has him attended by angels, now God says, what are you doing here? 
this isn't where you are supposed to be. You're supposed to be back in Israel. You've made this gigantic long trip. You ran away because what happens is counterintuitive to human thinking. He thought after all that success, three and a half years praying for that it might not rain, then praying when it would rain, and it did. Calling all those prophets of Baal to the mountains. God brings down fire from heaven. After all that miraculous stuff, he thought when Ahab finally gets home to Jezebel, she would say, wow, we need to bring down all the rest of these idols and worship Jehovah God. But what does she say? You're going to die. I'm going to have your life. And Elijah runs. Ironic, isn't it? After some of our greatest victories in life, whether it's been in your university on that campus where you led someone to Christ, in your workplace, your school, wherever, you can have some of your mountaintop experiences, but be ready. The enemy that's outside of your head and the enemy in your head, if you give it free rent, will bring you down. And you, after that victory, you think, well, now I'm ready to go. It's all going to change. It might not change at that moment, but God's not through. He is not through, and he's not through with Elijah. Elijah thought it was over. I didn't know what else could happen. I did everything I could. It didn't rain. I saw all these miracles happen. And now when I go there, this woman wants to kill me. And I'm running because I'm tired. I'm through. I've burned myself out. Choices have consequences. Jezebel had hers. Ahab had his. Elijah had his. And his choice was to run. Are you running from God today? Have you run from God? And is this the Mount Horb? Is this the holy place God brought you this morning on that simulcast or physically in this room for God to say to you, what are you doing in that place in your head? Why have you run? Why did you go? What did you think? By this time you would be the vice president and you're disappointed. By this time you would be married with children. By this time, this would happen, that would happen, the other thing, whatever it is. God says, your place is back in that place where I have you serving. For Elijah, that was back in Israel, not running away. And I don't know where your place is, but pretty much, if you've got a workplace, a school, a classroom, a form in your neighborhood, that's your place. I said, don't run from it. Let me work through it. But I don't see much happening. Look, Elijah had way greater victories than I've ever seen in my life. I've never seen fire fall down from heaven. I've fallen on some fire before. It's got me to move. But I haven't seen it like that. Have you? He comes off these great victories and he gets down. All of us can get down, okay? Aren't you glad God knows we're just dust? We're just dust. Elijah gets asked a question. Who is to do your work in Israel? When you're here, here in this state. You see, here is way more than the spatial location. Here is between your ears. Here is where you are in your spiritual life. And God says, I want you out of that funk. I've brought you here. I've been trying to talk to you, but you've heard now and choices have consequences. I want you to make good choices so you can have some good consequences. There's all kinds of poor choices sports teams have made over the history of time. Poor choices from people in the Word of God. You have two people heard the same thing that Jesus taught, went to the same places, saw the same miracles. Peter, Judas. One didn't make too good a choice, did he? 
You've got some poor choices in sports. Just there's, You can find them online, bleacher sites, lots of sites have them on there. Did you know in 1991, the Atlanta Falcons picked up a great player. He's a quarterback. You may have heard of him. His name was Brett Favre. And they decided they didn't need him. They traded him to, I think, the Green Bay Packers, where he became a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, just unbelievable. Not a good It's rated as one of the top poor choices in sports, but there's some that go even beyond that. There's a team by the name of the Portland Trailblazers. And in 1984, they selected for their first draft choice, Sam Bowie, instead of a guy by the name of Michael Jordan. They passed over Michael. You may not like that team where he's from, but you cannot say that he's not a good ball player. Even now, he probably can make some really good college teams. I mean, it's unbelievable. They say, boy, that was a really, that was a poor choice. But on several sites, the number one, the number one bad choice a sports team made happened in 1919. Some of you already know what it is. When the Boston Red Sox, what they did, they sold Babe Ruth to a team called the New York Yankees. And it was like 80-something years later when they won a World Series. Whether you're a sports fan or not, just interesting what happened with that. The Yankees made him uh, rather than a He was a great pitcher, by the way. But they made him into a fielder. And most of us have heard his name, even though Babe Ruth started playing baseball in 1914, 105 years ago. Most of us have heard his name. Incredibly poor choice. So we come back to this little ticket. I've got here from Yankee Stadium. And this has to do with the choice also, and maybe it'll fool you, I don't know. But it's not a ticket to a Yankees game from 1948. It's a ticket to a Word of Life rally on June 19, 1948. And at Yankee Stadium that day, probably the most important thing that would happen all year would take place there. People would come like you, like me, and have a chance to listen to the word of salvation to go out where, friend, you could know and understand that Christ loves you. He hung on the cross and bled and died and took your sin to the cross, rose three days later and offers eternal life as a gift. If that stadium was used for that, and if there's people that can go back and remember being at that and they made a profession of faith in Christ, doesn't matter where Babe Ruth was playing or Mickey Mantle, whatever stadium it is, but this happened to be Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium was used in the most powerful way it's ever been used by a man by the name of Jack Wurtson, Word of Life Ministries, that talked about salvation. It says, admit one. There were some choices to be made that day. Some may have left and said, I'm not going to do that and follow Jesus. But I can't help but believe on June 19, 1948, in Yankee Stadium in New York City, my hometown, I bet there's people that prayed to receive Jesus that day. And that... That was a life-changing choice. It'll stand against any record anyone's ever set in any sport. And the poorest choice everyone, anyone ever made was not to select Michael Jordan or Brett Favre or to trade Babe Ruth. The poorest choice a person can make is to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. How, friend, you don't have to go to hell, but God paid your way into heaven. The poorest choice a person can make is to reject God's grace and love and gift of salvation and say, that's not for me, I'll go on. After that, the poorest choice a believer can make is to try to live their life their way. Poor choices. Choices have consequences.
God wants you to have good consequences in your life. Pastor, what do I do? Because I've already made some poor choices. I've stepped over the line in some of my dating life, some of my thought life, some of where my eyes go, and some of my decisions. Where do I go? I've compromised myself in some places. You repent today, now, where you are or coming forward alone. You say, God, I want to be where you want me to be. I want to get out of this funk because you've touched me today, God. You've shown me, you've brought me to the holy mountain and I have seen your word because the Holy Spirit inside of me has shown me that. As pastors come forward in just a moment, you can come forward and be transparent before God and say, God, today I want to be accountable to someone. Just say, here's where I need to be. I've let go of where you've called me, but here's where I need to be. God will help lift you out of that funk. How do you know? Been there, done that. God will lift you out of it. And whatever you think is the best for your life, you don't know more than God. God knows what's really best. And sometimes you just need to hear the omniscient God of the universe that knows everything wants the best for you. You're his child if you put your faith and trust in him. He wants the best for you. And he he loved you so much, he got word to you somehow today that he has a plan for your life and he wants you to get where that is and be part of what God has in your university your workplace, your school, wherever it is. He wants you to be there for that. And today, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ yet as your personal Lord and Savior, you can receive the gift of eternal life today by understanding a religion can't get you to heaven, a pastor can't, a priest can't, no system can, but a Savior can. That's why I talk about Jesus. He came to this earth. You'll see behind me the murals of the Christmas scene. God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, took on human flesh, fully God, fully man. It's the incarnation. It's a mystery. But he did it because he loved us. And he went to a cross where he bled and died for our sins and rose again three days later, offers eternal life as a gift if you'll receive it today by faith. How much faith? How much faith? Believe him. He says the faith of a child. Children hear, they believe. After that... You can begin to live the Christian life of service, not because you have to, but out of thankfulness, out of obedience to the King that loved you and died in your place. There's lots of choices. Some people at this particular day that are probably gone now, that was 71 years ago. Some made some really good choices. Some may not have. Today is your opportunity. This isn't Yankee Stadium, but it's a place where people are gathered. Your choice is here for today. Make a good choice today. Please stand. Terry's here to lead us. Don't wait.